0: The series that I'm going to be speaking on, preaching on, is called The Enviable Life. The Enviable Life. The life that others would want to envy. And the reason why, and I'll explain in a moment why I've called it The Enviable Life, it's actually a scriptural term um, But we'll get into that in a moment. We don't want to live lives full of envy, but we want to live lives so blessed of God that we are enviable to others. Can I get an amen? Amen. The Beatitudes are a series or a uh, a series of blessings that Jesus declared on people when they manifest particular attitudes that are in sync with the lifestyle and the heart of God and the kingdom of God. So the Beatitudes, you've all heard of the Beatitudes, the sermon Jesus preached on the mountain. The Beatitudes are a series of blessings, proclamations. He starts each Beatitude with, blessed are people who do this, this, and this. And then he says what the blessing will be. And he declares these pronouncements or these blessings on people that are manifesting heart attitudes that are in sync with God. Lifestyles that flow with what the lifestyle of the kingdom of God is. We could go to church all we want we have to live church you and I are the church and we're only the church because Jesus Christ is in us and we are the breath of God on earth we are his representatives we are to some the only gospel they'll ever see we are the salt but if the salt loses its flavor does it have any value how many of you have ever been to a restaurant and you go to take the salt and you're putting salt on your vegetables or something and it's like, there's no taste. You put the salt on your meat and there's still no taste. And you're shaking and you're shaking and you're shaking and there's just no flavor being drawn up by the salt. Salt draws out the flavor of what it seasons. And when you have, I was at the restaurant just the other day and I'm salting uh, my meal and there's absolutely no enhancement of flavor and finally the waitress went and got me some salt in a bowl from the chef's uh, station and i had to pinch it and sprinkle it on my food the bible or jesus says you are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its ability to draw out the richness of god's character If the reflection of Christ is in us, if we lose that ability, salt loses its value. How many of you want to increase in value? You and I have been given value by God. He puts value on us even when we were sinners. But I want to be useful and usable to him all the days of my life. And I'm sure that's your attitude as well. Can I get an agreement? The Beatitudes then are a series of blessings pronounced on people as they demonstrate certain heart attitudes and certain lifestyles that are in sync with the kingdom of God. The world's value system is fashioned by the God of this world. we're often mesmerized and sometimes envy the lifestyles of the rich and the famous. And the world sets up this constant draw of attention to people who, by this world's economy, have enviable lives. And young people and older people, from our childhood on up, through TV, through media, the cameras flash and the movie uh, reels roll, thank you, and uh, we see the the glitz, the fame, we see the notoriety, we see the fortune of those that by this world's standards, they've arrived. We live in a world whose value systems are topsy-turvy, and If parading these values weren't important, Satan wouldn't have mastered this game. But he has mastered the game of putting in front of your sons and daughters and putting in front of you as adults and as elderly people a value system that is diametrically opposite to the value system of God's heart. And we have to recognize the world we're living in. This is not the world that our Father created in its present form. It is a fallen world, and the value system, what's great in this world, is not great in God's eyes. And so many times we, together with our kids, are caught up in values that are actually contrary to the values of the kingdom of heaven. And even in the religious world, we can become so religious, God isn't religious. And religion is man's self righteous attempts to be good, to be godly, to be holy. And really, Jesus described it best when he said to some of the Pharisees, You guys are like whitewashed tombs on the outside. Beautiful white uh, lime stonework, but inside it stinks and it's decaying. Religion is like that. Value systems. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind don't be conformed to the pattern of this world simply put and matt i know i didn't go through this with you i don't know how quickly you'd be able to put it up but i i did my own translation everybody put your hands together for matt i mean this guy's just on the ball good on you matt Simply put, what does that say? It says don't be molded by the value system of the God of this world. Listen, the world's value system, get it straight. That is the God of this world. That's his value system. And while we try to measure up or add up or determine what we have and what we don't have, based on the world's value system, all we're doing is measuring up to Satan's eye. Good preaching, Pastor Ron. Don't be molded by the value system of the God of this world, but be transformed by changing your thinking to line up with the value system of the God of the universe. Can I get an agreement here this morning? And so that's my introduction to the Beatitudes. You won't find the word Beatitude in the actual texts of Scripture. You'll find it as a heading, the Beatitudes, or the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, but in the actual written text by the Gospel writers, in this case Matthew, you won't find the word Beatitude. The Septuagint, which some of you may have heard from time to time, is a version or a translation of the Hebrew text, the Old Testament, translated into the Greek. And so the Septuagint is a version of the Hebrew text translated into the Greek. At the time of Jesus, the Greek empire had fallen and the Roman empire was a new, young, upcoming empire, an empire that would cover most of the then-known world. Because the influence of Alexander the Great and the Greeks was so immense, Greek was the common language, and so Hebrew texts were translated into Greek because Greek Gentiles were starting to believe in the God of Abraham. And so to understand about this God of Abraham... Scribes would translate and uh, translate the Hebrew text into the Greek. Later, after the time of Jesus, probably around 300-400 AD, the language and the Roman influence had increased to such a point that the common language of the people was Latin and it wasn't Greek. The people in the east, the nations in the east, spoke primarily Greek. But now, uh, as Rome continued to influence and have influence on society over the next couple of hundred years, the common language, and especially the nations of the west, was Latin. And so, there was a pope who had uh, ordered Jerome to translate... The Greek texts into Latin, the common language, Latin. And he translated the first four Gospels into Latin in the common everyday language of the people. And the Roman Catholic Church adopted that as their official translation, and it's called the Vulgate. And in the Latin came the word Beati. Beati means blessed. And so the Beatitudes, every time Jesus reveals an attitude and a lifestyle that is uh, conducive or in sync with the kingdom of God, he would say, Beati. In Latin, it would be Beati. Are you with me? And so we Anglicized it over the years, and it became the Beatitudes, Not a word you'll find in the Greek dictionary if you're studying your Bible or in the Hebrew text or anything like that. It came out of the Latin and it was anglicized. And uh, we call it the Beatitudes. And uh, in Italian, a lot of our Languages are Latin-based. And so in Italian, growing up in my father's church, this word is very common to me. Beati, poveri in spirito. di loro è il regno di ciel. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so Beatitudes come from the word blessed. Well... Let's have a look at Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 1 to verse 3. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. And he began to teach them, and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to start with the word blessed. When somebody sneezes, we say, God bless you. But that word blessed carries with it a whole world of tremendous power. In the Greek, the word blessed is makarios. Makarios, and it means happy, blessed, to be envied. Supremely blessed. How many of you want to be supremely blessed? When you are supremely blessed, you will be envied. And Jesus is saying... That people who manifest certain traits and certain heart attitudes, they will be supremely blessed and become enviable to others. So here, blessed, happy, to be envied, supremely blessed, fortunate, well off. I asked how many of you would love to be supremely blessed, and probably most of the hands went up here. We want to be supremely blessed. So this series is about the enviable life. Modeling attitudes and heart disposition that will position us in line with the kingdom of God so that we will be supremely blessed. Now, having said that, I hope this captures your attention for the next six or seven weeks, however long the Holy Spirit has me teaching this series. But I will say this, as your pastor, I honestly believe that this is probably one of the most important series that I'll be teaching this year. Look, we just came from a series about understanding the laws of the spirit realm, and I talked about faith and the power of God and how to step into the supernatural. And this is a church that has always seen a lot of miracles, a lot of miracles, outstanding miracles, things that can only be attributed to God and to him is the glory for his is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. Absolutely. But as much as you'll hear your pastor talk about the power of God's Spirit, there is another side to the coin, and that is the character of God's heart, the character of God's Spirit. Power is only as good as the character that it comes from. And so the Holy Spirit who is the essence of God brings the fruit of the Spirit, which is the character of God, the nine fruit of the Spirit. And he also brings the nine gifts of God, which are the supernatural revelation, the supernatural wisdom, discernment, and the supernatural power of God. He symbolizes a dove, but the Holy Spirit isn't a dove. It's just a symbolic picture But any bird with only one wing will never reach its full potential. And so the church, unfortunately, there are segments of the church that want to recognize the Holy Spirit and His fruit, but deny the power of the Holy Spirit and its giftings in work and in action in the church today. On the other hand, then you get segments of the church that want to put so much emphasis on the power and the gifts, and rightly so, but Paul brings a balance and says, I can have the gift of faith, and I can have the gift of prophecy, but if I don't have the fruit of God's Spirit, namely love, I have nothing. We want the power of the Holy Ghost. And the power of God's Spirit should be evident in the church because it's that supernatural lift that lifts us above the advent of negative circumstances and the works of the enemy. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. But we are more than conquerors also in character and not just in power. Because what the flesh made us powerless to do in regards to God's standard, the Spirit of God in us gives us the ability to not only say amen, but be the amen in lifestyle. Can I get an agreement? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The beatitudes, as I said, are hard attitudes, or lifestyle—a lifestyle of thinking that gets God's attention every time. Listen to this: the beatitudes are hard attitudes, a lifestyle of thinking that will get God's attention every time, and will cause Him to pronounce a blessing on our life. That's why these beatitudes are so powerful. They will align us with God's heart. If we understand these beatitudes, they are the attitudes of God's heart. And they will align us with God, and they will get his attention every time, and it will cause him to pronounce a blessing over our lives. Now, blessing aside, I just want to be aligned with God's heart. When we look inside of our own heart, outside of Jesus Christ, and if we see clearly, there's a lot of corruption. And we can be great one moment and be equally disastrously bad the next in our attitudes. But as we convey Christ, as we carry Christ in our attitude, in our mindset, in our lifestyle. We will carry the heart and the favor and the blessing of God. Blessed are the poor. Now I want to correct this because religion has created a consciousness that is extremely wrong. Blessed are the poor is not blessed are those who are are oppressed. Blessed are the poor are not those who shun worldly possessions. Blessed are the poor, is not those that are beat up. Notice the reward. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You could find people in life that have gone through hardship and they're beat up, but they beat up their fellow man just as much as they've been beat up. Theirs is not the kingdom of heaven. Are you with me? Blessed are the poor. You could be wretched and poor and living out of the garbage dump and still have sin in your heart. Jesus is not conveying here that the rich are in peril and the poor are automatically going to make it. And this is the connotation that sometimes has been conveyed by religion. And so we look down on worldly possession I want you to understand that everything about the Beatitudes is about attitude of heart. And so you could be rich and decrepit, and you can be poor and decrepit. You could be the victorious, always winning, uh, and winsome personality in life and be decrepit. And you could be the underdog who's always kicked around and be decrepit in your attitudes. Are you hearing me? So what is Jesus saying? I want that enviable life. I want my attitudes to mirror the heart and the attitudes and the lifestyle of God. I want to be in sync. I want to flow with the kingdom of God. If for no other reason than that his way is perfect and I just want to be right with him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we look at the word poor in the Greek, it says poor, destitute, and humble. Religion has taken the poor and the destitute and created this misunderstanding that monks and priests become more holy and reverent because they shun all worldly goods. How many of you know, and not only by what we hear in the papers and the media, but how many of you know, you can live a life of depriving yourself of worldly things, but sin will still lurk in your heart and you'll still do atrocious things. Hello? Come on, just being honest here. Just being real. And and, and that's what I love about Jesus. He was always very, very real. But it also means and conveys the expression humble. You see, if you translate a word literally, sometimes the literal translation doesn't fit the context in which the word is being used. For example... You could have a drug dealer walking down the street with all his bling-bling and all of his money showing and his uh, entourage following him, and you could look at him and say, what a poor soul. It doesn't mean for one minute he doesn't have money. He is in lack. He is poor. So you can take the literal translation of a word But yet, the little translation doesn't necessarily fit the context. The the context of this word poor, both in the Greek, when you put it in poor in spirit, speaks of those who are humble in heart. Those who are humble in their attitude. And I'm going to show you... Uh, You know, just this week in Bible school, we were talking about how to interpret Scripture. And you can never build a doctrine on one Scripture. It must always be in agreement with other Scriptures and in line with the Spirit and the the attitude of the whole Word of God. And I want to show you from other Scriptures that this is what Jesus is referencing. If we were to look at Isaiah chapter 57, verse 14 to 15... The prophet Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God, and he says, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You see, the word lowly in the Hebrew is shafal. And again, the common denominator is the word humble. And God says, I live in a high and holy place. But I will also live with those who are low in spirit, who are humble in their attitude, humble in their heart, Humble in their mentality. Are you hearing me? He says what's interesting is this verse is actually a parallel. It runs congruent with what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. Because here the prophet is saying about God, Behold, I live in a holy place. But I will also live with those who have a humble heart attitude. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. For where they are, God will be around them. The realm of God's power, the realm of God's presence, the realm of God's favor will be around them. Whoa! Jesus is reiterating what the prophet was saying in the Old Testament. And of course he is. He's always revealing the heart of God. And so you could rob yourself of every worldly blessing and benefit and financial gain and be no better off unless your heart and your attitude is humble. Blessed are those who have become humbled or who are humble in their approach to life and humble in their heart attitude. Notice that God lives in that high place but he also lives where the humble are. Isaiah 66, verse 2. God says, Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord? These are the ones I look on with favor. What did Jesus say? Blessed, favor. Favor. Supremely blessed. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. Who tremble at my word. Church. We need to develop a lifestyle. A heart attitude. That runs from the spirit of pride and arrogance and obnoxiousness. And embraces the fact that without Christ, we're miserable. We're full of mistakes. You see, on the one hand, the Apostle Paul could seem almost as if he was arrogant. He makes statements like, I can do all things. But he gives it a context through Jesus Christ who enables me. And so as Christians, we need to understand that in our flesh and of our flesh, we're nothing. In and of of our own efforts, we will always be prone to sin. While we can at times reach moments of great humanitarian acts, the attitude in our heart can also sink to the lowest depths and we could be shamefully sinful. I didn't hear that. I know I'm not just talking about me. Because most of us are like the rest of us. I went on a mission trip to Africa. And uh, was on my way to Malawi. We were going to the rural regions, the inner, inner part of the nation of Malawi. And uh, my plane stopped in South Africa. And while I was there, I observed something that really tormented my heart. So much so that though this was maybe 12 years ago, I think of it from time to time and it really bothers me. And I remembered being in the airport and seeing this white South African man, probably my age, and he had addressed one of the airport attendants who happened to be African. And he spoke down to him in such a way and was so arrogantly rude, forgive me, but in a moment I stepped into the flesh and I wanted to knock him out. The irony is, as we traveled six hours inland into the interior of Malawi, we are now in a region where the people are are poor. This is a third world country. We stop at what they call a supermarket that was really no bigger than a gas station convenience store, and everything they were selling, there were... Only a few items. They were the most basic needs of life. And they were sold in Hessian bags. This was their food supply. And uh, as I come out of the store, we're we're all trying to get drinks. We're really hot and thirsty. The road is dusty. And uh, out comes this African young woman whose skin color was just a little bit lighter than the gentleman standing in front of her. And she took to him just like the other gentleman took to that young man in the airport in South Africa and totally berated him. And what I felt God showing me is that the issue isn't prejudice or racism. The issue is man is utterly sinful. And sometimes we could get sidetracked in how we name things. The bottom line is we are all utterly sinful. I've had opportunity to preach around the world, and I'll be honest with you. As I go from one country to another, as I mix with diverse cultures, here, don't take offense, anyone, at anything I'm saying. I want to be free to just speak the truth as I've preached in South America and mixed with people from different nations in South America, it has amazed me how people that I would group as Latino, all one people group, and I understand there's a lot of diversity, but from one nation to the next, there is an attitude of superiority. And I would go into Uruguay, and those that are in Argentina were in their attitude, far superior to those in Uruguay. And then the Uruguayans were guilty of feeling superior to somebody other in South America. And the bottom line is not South America or Latinos or black or white. The bottom line is that our granddaddy, Adam, sinned in the garden, and his number one sin was arrogance. Come on, church, are you hearing me? Let's go back to the beginning for a minute. You see, if you study the law of God, Paul makes it quite clear. I believe it's Romans chapter 3, verse 20. He says, the only purpose of the law was to show you how sinful you are. Now, why did God have to go to such an elaborate land... To show man that no matter how much he desired these principles and these ideals of God, that the more he tried to do it, the more he tried to do it, he couldn't. He'd fall on his face. The conclusion of that, the summary of what the law was meant to do is found in the second half of Romans chapter 7 when Paul, he's speaking about mankind under different dispensations and he's talking about man under the law, trying to do the law of God. He sees that the law is good, he sees that the law is holy, he tries to do it, but even though he loves the law of God, he finds another law at work in himself and he comes to a conclusion, Paul speaking about mankind Under a dispensation of law, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? The man Paul is describing needs a savior. In Romans chapter 3 verse 20, Paul explains that was the whole purpose of the law. To show us that even our good works don't come close to the purity and the goodness and the sweetness and the gentleness and the love of God. Yeah, go on. Give the Lord a big hand. See, when we were singing in worship earlier, we were singing uh, at how good Jesus is. We like to think we're good, but outside of Christ, really, we're lost. We have moments of good achievements. We have moments of highlights where we do honorable things. But the bottom line is man is utterly sinful and we need a Savior. But in Christ, who we are in Christ is a whole nother picture. You see, I glory and I boast in who I am in Christ. I preached a series, I believe I am who he says I am. And it's very important that we know who we are in Christ, but we need never forget who we are outside of Christ. Not so that we live in condemnation or in guilt, but so that we keep on the mark of what we needed, and that was a Savior. If there's anything good in me, it's only because of the presence of God. Amen. And Jesus is saying to be envied and blessed and supremely blessed are people who can maintain an attitude of humility. You see, the Bible says that God will resist the proud. Have you got that scripture for me? I've left my notes now, Matt, so you're going to have to just fly with me. Uh, James 4, 6, but he gives us more grace. That's why scriptures say... And this next scripture, James is quoting, it comes out of the book of Proverbs. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. He shows blessing to the humble. You see the common thread. This is God's heart. God will resist pride. He will resist arrogance. Why? Because we're like grass and we're going to weather away. And when we think we don't stink, we stink more than everybody else. I don't think it's by coincidence we come into the world poo-pooing ourselves and somebody else has got to clean us up. And most times we will go out of this world and somebody's going to have to help us. Maybe we need the reminder that without Christ we are fallen creatures. But in Christ, behold, we are a new creation. And in Christ we are sons of God. Amen. An attitude of balance. Knowing who you are in Jesus Christ, but never forgetting that without Christ, we don't cut the mustard at all. And Jesus said, blessed are those who understand us. So here's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. I didn't forget where I was going. Here's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and God has given them absolutely everything. He says, you could have as much of everything as you want. Just one tree, don't touch it. The devil comes along and we don't know how long he had been chiseling away at their thoughts. The Bible doesn't tell us. Most people aren't tempted in five seconds and then they horribly fall. It's a progression. That's how the enemy works, a little at a time. He knows how to play his game. And he brings a suggestion that the reason why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because God knows that then you'll have wisdom and you'll have the knowledge of good and evil like him and he wants to keep something good from you. And in that moment, Adam and Eve had to make a judgment and they did. They had to either judge the devil to be a liar and a perverter or they had to judge God as one who was jealous envious, uh, full of inferiority and insecurity and was trying to keep something good from them. And they made a judgment and they judged against God that God was withholding something from them though God had given them everything. And in their judgment they exalted themselves just like Lucifer above the throne of God and deemed themselves wiser and more knowledgeable than God even though they were the creation of his fingertips. The arrogance of man's heart. And so, all through the New Testament from Moses on, the Old Testament from Moses on, God sets up a standard that barely reflects how pure and how holy He is. And He says, okay, come on, try to do this. Because the core of man's sin is an attitude of pride, and it'll be our undoing every time. It's what started this whole fall. And it's what we still struggle with. We get to thinking that we're just all that. I want to tell you, if Jesus is in in the picture, you're not all that. I'm not all that. We're not even in the picture without Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so the whole law, as exhaustive as it was, was designed to show man, it doesn't matter how much these principles in my law evoke admiration out of you and you want to do it, try as hard as you can. You can't keep up a consistent lifestyle of holiness or goodness like God. He did that because man judged God and judged himself. To be higher than God. And God says this is a core curse now inside of humanity. Church, hear me. Because of our forefather Adam, this is a core curse in humanity. And our flesh will want to go to pride. And none of us are any better than the other. Because where one person stinks, we stink somewhere else probably ten times more. I'm not getting enough amens. I'm going to say it again. Where we know somebody else stinks, there are hidden places in our heart where we stink even more. Can I get an amen? The flesh, the heart is deceitful above all things. Now, I know who I am in Christ. And in Christ, I'm the righteousness of God. In Christ, I am a son, and I sit on the edge of the universe with Jesus, and I rule and I reign with him. And there's power when I speak in his name. But outside of Jesus, I'm as guilty, as shameful sin as anybody else. Who are we to look down on a brother who has fallen and sinned when really we have been saved from the same sin and maybe worse sins? Jesus is conveying attitude. Attitude that was the opposite in the spiritual leaders of that day. In fact, if you go to Matthew 23, he preaches seven woes, and all of those woes are to the religious leaders. And it's all coupled in arrogance. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed, supremely blessed and advantaged Highly favored and to be envied are people who understand the lifestyle of humility, knowing who we are in the flesh, balanced with who we are in Jesus Christ. And when we keep that attitude towards our fellow man, never judging in a condemning way, but judging only to discern. And when I see evil in another I don't just assume, well, God, thank God, I'm not like him. The Pharisees, Jesus used that illustration. They'd come and pray and say, Well, God, thank you. I'm so glad I'm not like that person. And really, what the attitude should be is, God, I thank you that you've redeemed me. I was just like that. And capable of all of those things as well. Come on, church, are you hearing me? If you want the blessed life, then we must model the heart and the attitude and the character that comes. From Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. There are so many ramifications to what I'm saying. Look. Tithing. Oh, we're not under the law. There he goes. Can I explain something? The whole issue of tithing, first of all, tithing happened before the law. Okay? And if God introduces it in the law and it happened even before the law, and in the new Jerusalem, they will bring the cedars of Lebanon and they will bring of their flocks and they will bring of their gold into the temple in the new Jerusalem to come. This is just... Wealth is a vehicle of worship. But let me show you something about tithing. God says to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Can I have it, Matt? I want to read this to you because I want to get things into perspective. I want you to see how easily we are prone to pride. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord, your God, for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build fine houses and you settle down, when your herds and your flock grow large and your silver and gold increase, increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Don't forget where you came from. Know where God's taken you to, but don't forget where you came from. Never lose sight of the equation that without Christ we are nothing, but in Christ we are sons of God. Can I get an agreement? He goes on and he says in verse 15, He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Verse 18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Tithing says, God, the work of your kingdom is priority. Tithing says, God, you're the source of my blessing, not me. And if you tithe for no other reason so that you didn't fall into the trap of becoming obnoxious and conceited about your ability, that alone would be a good reason to tithe. The heart of man will tend to pride on so many levels. Racism is despicable. Pride is the root of it. And pride is abominable. The proud and the arrogant take offense quickly, but the humble all is well. And Jesus said, you will be greatly blessed of God and the kingdom of God is yours. He's not saying that the kingdom of God goes to anyone who's poor. What he's saying is the realm of God's presence and the realm of God's power will be with you When you resist pride and you walk in humility with your fellow man and before God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap off. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I believe that over the next few weeks, God is going to help us to see clearly... Attitudes that come out of his heart, attitudes that he wants us to model, attitudes that should be normal for us as Christians. Listen to me, church. If we want to continue to see the glory of God come into our meetings, then we need to line up with God's heart, we need to line up with God's ways. We need to become sensitive to him. We can talk in tongues, move mountains, and raise the dead. But if the fruit and the character of God's heart, the attitudes that are seasoned by his spirit, if that's not in us, we got nothing. We have nothing. And you could become the vice president and the president of a corporation. You could have money upon money or you could be mildly satisfied in your middle class or you could be brokenly poor. Pride will go to every one of those extremes. But if we resist pride, God won't resist us. If we resist arrogance, the kingdom of God, a kingdom is a realm where someone rules supreme. Do you want to get the devil out of your circumstances? Let the kingdom of God come down around you. The realm where God rules supreme is a realm where the enemy cannot metal. And when we walk in humility, God's kingdom is around those who are humble in spirit and in heart. Amen. Most important thing, as we close our eyes, as I get ready to end this service. If you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, that is the most important thing. Without Christ, we're all sinners. And without Christ, we will not make it. We will not make it. But God so loves you that he became flesh. And he took it at the cross. And he was happy too in the hopes that you might believe in his goodness and live the rest of your life trusting on him. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, and friend God, he's after you. He died for you. He loves you. I don't care how messed up your life is or how perfect you think your world is. You need a Savior. Every one of us does. Amen. I'm saved, and I still need my Savior every day.